So how about that Detective Pikachu, anyway? I, I'm hopeful. I'm actually hopeful. Yeah. I, I, I know a lot of people are creeped out by the Pokemon designs. <laughs> I think they look great. I like, like it. Yeah, I like it more than I thought. Maybe, I don't know, I guess I never imagined Pikachu to have that hair length. I imagine mm. a lot more of a short hair, but it works enough. I mean, that's a, a plush toy waiting to happen right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm on board for whenever Ryan Reynolds does voice acting. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very beautiful and such a talent. That's, so, that's the best thing about Ryan Reynolds. I know a lot of people wanted Danny DeVito, but if not DeVito, Ryan Reynolds is a fine, fine choice. Yep, he's he's excellent. And I, I think that now at this point in Pokemon's history, where we have this, you know, just multi-generational understanding of the franchise and the setting like i i think there's an opportunity for this to be the roger rabbit of computer animated films right like that human animal combination it it's there's enough depth in the lore there's enough reference for, and there's enough awareness of it that it, it could just be enormous. I think it's going to make so much fucking money. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it is, it's one of those movies that just seems uniquely tailored for the time it's coming out in. Because mm-hmm. kids are going to go regardless. There are now lots of adults who can say that they grew up with Pokemon. You know, I'm one of them. You know, I was like, what? Uh, 13, 14, around that age, I think, when it when it was first a thing. Um, so there's, there's plenty of nostalgia there as well. Um, well. And there's a lot of adults that continue to oh, yeah. participate in the franchise with or without kids. Oh, yeah. At the time uh, of recording, I'm upset because I um, expected Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu to be out today and didn't realize it was out tomorrow. So I am when sad. I was. When I was in Phoenix uh, for my high school reunion, I wanted to try and meet up with a couple of friends of mine. And, uh, you know, they've got kids and jobs and, and whatever. And f- the only time that they had available to meet up was when they were going to go to a public park for a Pokemon Go event. And the place was swarming with just people of all ages and mm-hmm. types. And it was just mind-blowing to me that here, I, what, now two years on into Pokemon Go, it's still this popular. It still has this yeah. much reach. It wasn't uncommon to be at the local pub where I am, see a guy, business suit and everything, just got off work at the bar, flicking his balls at Bulbasaur's, <laughs> you know? Um, that that obviously took off huge and is still really big. Um, so it's it's going to hit. And Ryan Reynolds, I mean, one of the hottest guys around. Certainly. And also, a, you know, very popular. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, not just Deadpool, but everything else he's done to sort of really make himself a household name. Like, he is a commodity right now. It was a oh. smart move. And he's off. in some, he's in ads all the time for like some mobile app I keep seeing, and the ads are good. Like he and he, he carries across his personality through this ad campaign that they've uh, clearly written explicitly for the purposes of Ryan Reynolds' specific charms. Yeah, uh, he's he is doing uh, so well with his career, and 
And it doesn't seem like it could have happened to a better guy either. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and also Mr. Mime. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, a good I like scene. Mr. Mime's bits. Yeah. No, that's, and it, it gives me hope that they're really going to make good use of the Pokemon that they have available to them. I mean, sure, Mr. Mime seems kind of obvious, but... Yeah, there's a whole bunch of weird ass yeah, yeah. Pokemon. I mean, it looked like from that that um, from the trailer, it looked like uh, Jigglypuff is doing a whole karaoke thing, or at the very least, is some sort of lounge singer. That's so, gonna be good. Yeah, yeah um, there's a lot you can do with a lot of Pokemon in real life, like m- contemporary contexts, not just sort of a world in which Pokemon, you know, exist like like a fantasy world, like the games. So yeah, I'm. I'm on board with it. This is we're not talking about Detective Pikachu all day, by the way. This is just since we primarily talk movies here, movies and games. Then that it's we have to talk about it because it was a big deal this week. It was a big deal this big week. Big deal this week. And 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 we're gonna talk about something else. But there is one other thing I I feel. I need to bring up at the head of this. We're going to be talking about a Netflix thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, um, so over the course of this podcast and, and a few other podcasts, I have said some things about Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I stand by all of the things that I've said about Adam Sandler <laughs> over the years. <laughs> I do. However, Adam Sandler has a new Netflix special called 100% Fresh. That sounds and like a lie. It's amazing. Yeah? The it title is, seems dishonest. It is. Uh, it Now, it, it, it recalls back to a much earlier time in, in Sandler's career uh when he was largely known as a musical comedian act before the movies made him a household name and uh uh you know like when when he was still on the Saturday night live stuff and and doing lunch lady land and his his albums and this is all very much in that vein and it just it demonstrates that Adam Sandler actually is funny has a comedic voice and can write a solid song. There is, towards the tail end of the special, uh, a tribute to Chris Farley that I swear to God actually brought tears to my eyes. I am so angry (laughs) at Adam Sandler for the last 20 years of lazy pointless, money-making commercial art. He squandered his talent. I mean, you could argue he didn't because of the amount of money he made. Creatively, he squandered himself. Yeah. Even David Bowie only spent 10 years cashing in. (laughs) And you could argue that David Bowie earned a whole lot more than that. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to even when they said he made good films. Like, um, The Wedding Singer was on the TV here recently. I didn't put it on. But it was on the TV. And even then, 
during, you know, one of those films people say is good. It's one of the better films oh, in, sure. the, in the Sandler oeuvre. Still or, or packed with commercials for products, though. Dunkin' Donuts especially, which carried through to Notoriously Jack and Jill, which dedicated a lot of its time to just advertising Dunkin' Donuts. All the favourites are here, you know, Coke products, and then there's that whole thing with Coke being invested in um, one of the production companies that work. Like, it's all just a big money web. And even back when he was, quote-unquote, good... And you know the, the 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 wedding singer and movies of that era had their moments. Um, yeah. You know, I, I recognize that a lot of people like them more than I do. But you know, they, I think they, the pairing of uh, the on screen on screen chemistry between Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore is just undeniable. Like they yeah. are a great on screen couple. But the chemistry between Adam Sandler and corporate sponsorships is even greater. Oh, it's way hotter. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, even back then, and he's only sold out more and more since. And it it really is just a shambles. What his, I say shambles, just sham. I didn't need the bulls. It's uh, sham bulls. What his career is, it's, uh, I, it's. It's greed personified. It's incredible. And that's it's it's really interesting because I mentioned that Chris Farley song that's in there and uh and it is very moving and there's some really kind of just touching moments throughout it. And then towards the tail end, uh, you know, when you're feeling the most sad about the loss of uh, a talent like Chris Farley, he says, I wish you were still here. Uh, we'd be on a plane flying off to shoot Grown Ups 3. <sighs> and you think to yourself, oh, thank God Chris Farley died young. Oh. <laughs> like, it's a complete turnaround. It's like, man, you would have destroyed his legacy like you destroyed your own. Part of your hopes he was he knew what he was doing when he said that. <laughs> <sighs> so anyway, I... Far be it for me to recommend you go watch something of Adam Sandler's, but legitimately, credit where credit's due, uh, 100% Fresh is uh, very, very entertaining. Uh, and is that a reference to his Rotten Tomato movie scores? Probably, yeah. I mean, he actually does have... A, there's a, a one or two jokes about Rotten Tomatoes in the, there we the, go, the set also, yeah. yeah. How yep. dare, if that's based on pride, how dare he? How dare he have pride in his films to be <laughs> ever bothered by the critical response they get? <clears throat> anyway, yeah. right. On the subject of Netflix, today's episode of the spin off Doctors with Conrad Zimmerman and Jim Sterling is, of course, Castlevania Season 2. Yeah. The animated After series. A- after a, a solid, albeit short, maybe perhaps a little thin first season of four episodes, we're, we're back with a double order of mm-hmm. eight. And this time they've got a song from, a tune from Sym- Symphony of the Night in it. I don't know why I started all that. They got a tune from Symphony of the Night in the um, big fight at near the end. Uh, I'm still waiting for my da 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 I haven't got that tune yet. Not there yet. But this is, uh, again, incredibly respectful to the series, the franchise mm-hmm. as a whole. Full of little nods. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of references, but then a lot. It draws from multiple sources. 
because Castlevania is kind of a weird, complicated multi-timeline thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have adjusted canon a few times. There's a now removed from canon uh, Game Boy Castlevania game with a uh, female Belmont who is set up as the progenitor of the line and they scrapped that and the Lords of Shadow stuff is its own timeline I believe from the main Castlevania series and you can certainly tell with their more sympathetic Draclia in in this show they must have been inspired by that element of Lords of Shadow Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. But then there's a whole lot of Symphony of the Night inspiration sure, yeah. and, and the you know main series timeline, the Castlevania uh, core trilogy and, and the, the Trevor Sypha Alucard stuff. So it it draws from all of these different places, little bits and bobs, but it makes a cohesive, respectful thing out of it that still feels very much like Castlevania uh, as just part of that universe. Yeah. So I... Warren Ellis is one of my favorite writers. So at the same time, you know, very definitively doing its own thing. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It it's it, and it it twists the lore in some interesting places, and and creates some cool new characters that we're not familiar with. And I'm I am pleased. I am pleased. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Season two, better than the first. Mm-hmm. Still got, um, I mean, you've pointed out when we, we've talked about it, still got some padding, plays for time a fair bit. Um, it's interesting because these eight episodes, uh, they are running time-wise. If you cut out the intros, which Netflix very wisely after the first episode limits to just 12 seconds. They know and people are going to hit that skip button. Why bother making a lavish one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they, 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 well, but here by contrast now... Uh, I was watching, there's a 2009 uh, Monty Python documentary that recently wound up on Netflix, and it has a two-minute-long credit sequence oh. at the beginning. Like, it's cruel. Thank God that button exists. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's it, they do cut right to the chase in this. But the credits are uh, still a solid, like, three, four minutes and at the end. And so if you remove all of that excess... You get about 20 minutes an episode. This comes out to be just a little bit longer than the running time of The Lawnmower Man. Yeah. And as much as I, uh, you know, have enjoyed the Netflix Castlevania stuff, they could trim a, trim it down yep. and have a, a leaner, better-paced show. Yeah, um, much like the first uh, season probably could have been done as a 50-minute, one-hour special type arrangement yeah. this this could have been in, in a 90 minute feature yeah. pretty easily i think so um now not that it's bad not that no, it's, it's bad it's not that it's bad there is a lot of uh dramatic draw out uh there's a lot of visualization of the world that it adds to the whole it's not that it doesn't feel like it's wasteful yeah like i'm not watching it bored but i am watching it thinking this could be snappier, and I'd like, be into it even more than I am. Yeah. When's the next thing coming? Like, this is all really neat and all, and I, it's cool, but I, I want to know what's happening in my story. Yeah. Um, season two, uh, very much Dracula's season, this mm-hmm. one. It's, it's you know, it, obviously we're following uh, Belmont and, and um, Alucard and... Uh, who's the, the, the wizard? 
Cypher? Cypher. Right, yeah. Uh, we're obviously following them as they try and stop Dracula, but a lot of it is the politics inside the castle itself and Dracula and his forge masters and the vampire society that we we don't get massive descriptions of, but we certainly get hints. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, Vampire the Masquerade in there, a lot, yeah. lot of treachery. Very games of Game of Thrones. It gets all a bit Game of Thronesy this season um, with a lot of uh, political intrigue and, and treachery and whatnot. Uh, and, and that's all pretty intriguing. And uh, they did a good job there. They they did a good job of simultaneously uh, making these very clear antagonists who want to eradicate an entire species, while still making them somewhat um, sympathetic or at least relatable. Yeah, in some way. Like they they especially had a hard job, I think, of trying to make. Uh, relatable characters out of the two human forge masters that are working for Dracula and essentially yeah. want to eradicate their own race. They dedicate a lot of time towards contextualizing why they would make this decision because it, it does make it difficult to relate to them. Yeah. Um, I especially liked uh, not just how misanthropic they are, but how they even understand that there's not a place for them in the world they're trying to fight to make. Yeah. They're more than willing to sort of fall on the sword and go down with their species. And that made them a lot more interesting than just sort of gleefully cackling as they cut down, you know, innocent victims. Um, They want a, a good, clean, orderly sort of... I guess bowing de- bowing out and giving it over yeah. to the vampires. They're very they're very uh, pragmatic. Yeah, these these two characters, uh, and al- certainly although... you know not likable, not uh, not not good goals at all. No, but it's it, very much uh, even there's if an I can't... effort made to try to get you to sympathize with them. Uh, in in both instances, and I don't know how successful they really are in either case. Um, but they have tragic pasts, at least. At least yeah. they have something to try and justify this decision that they've made. Um, I kind of wish that we could have gotten to know a few more of the uh, vampire generals yes and not i mean there's so much in here already and with the way it's constructed it does feel like if they tried to add any more it would just be more bloated but at the same time they're interesting character designs that i would hope would have interesting characters behind them and i never get to know them yeah yeah like all of the the vampires that are rendered to look distinct from the rank and file they all look like they've, you know, from different parts of the world, and they're like different countries' ideas of what some vampire lord might be. Um, yeah, it is a shame we don't get that explored more fully. But overall, still very happy. Happy there's going to be a season three. Sure. Yeah. Um, and really... Peter Stormare's in this season, in season uh, two. I'm, I love Peter Stormare. Yeah, Eddie's good. Yeah, he's fun. He's fun. Yeah. Well, should we just get into it? Let's just get cracking. Pull up the old sleeves, why don't we? All right. 
We begin again in Wallachia, at Lupu village, where still-living Lisa Tepesh meets with an old woman complaining of respiratory problems. And after doing a bit of research and pining for her husband Dracula, who's off doing his travel-the-world thing, she returns to the woman with some medicine which is totally not made of her dried foot skin, like the <laughs> old wise woman who used to serve the village would do. Gross. But great conversation, uh, really effective introduction of the elements of her being sort of an outsider, relatively new to this region, um, keeping her marriage a secret on some level, or at least not talking about her husband. Um, I mean, you you, you don't want to. If you're no. married to Dracula, you kind of want to keep that on the DL. <laughs> Well, and, and for good reason, because as the patient is leaving, uh, they find that there's a bishop and some clergy waiting outside. Uh, this is our Bishop of Greshit, uh, played by Matt Frewer. Which at some again. times in this show is is pronounced grey shit. <laughs> uh, the, the bishop asks Lisa to confirm her role as a local doctor before sending his clergy to ransack her home. Looking for evidence of Satan, which they find in her lab. Uh, Lisa attempts to explain that she's simply using once forgotten knowledge, but it's dismissed as paganism. And as she's dragged away for an inquisition, she tries to warn you that he'll kill you all as they burn her house down. Uh, I laugh, but this is uh, pretty good. And I love, I love the You really get the sense of waste. Like her desperation to keep the, the knowledge they're burning. Mm-hmm. You get you get this real sense, and they established it well with her medicinal um, uh, practices just before this moment, uh, and her performance, and and just the desperation of trying to keep yeah, that what, medical knowledge. What that Inquisition is dragging these people back down into. Yeah. Um, and 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 I'm not saying that that is relatable in today's world. This idea that progress has been made and people in charge are sort of dragging it back. Um, I wouldn't ever suggest that. That, that. that might be a metaphor for that? that, that or, or if not a deliberate metaphor, at least uh, some conclusions that could be drawn. Some. Huh. Uh, I would never suggest that we're kind of... Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's yeah. a good thing because we wouldn't want this to get political. No, 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 no. no. Actual discussion of what's going on in the show trumps anything we could be talking about in regards to the modern world. As we all know, a literal examination of all artistic works is the only rational course. Yes. Let's not make this political. Now, return to the description of a book burning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I also like her characterization as the pure source of of light and wisdom uh that exists her her concern is not for herself ultimately but for humanity and not just in you know not wanting the loss of the knowledge but in the awareness that that is that would be reflected in dracula making the decision that humans aren't worth it yeah that, yeah that she's aware he'll draw that conclusion if she's killed it's uh, very similar to the scene at the beginning of Scream, where <laughs> Demi Moore tells the uh, Scream character, who I think is just called Scream, 
on the phone that she's got a boyfriend and he plays football and he's going to kick the shit out of him. This scene is exactly like that. (laughs) In Dracula's throne room, vampire generals are assembled along with a couple of humans and Drac addresses them. He expresses this vague desire to give Wallachia over to the horrible night creatures that he summoned to fight his war. And then he asks... (laughs) Not that there's any comparisons that could be drawn. None. And then he asks the two humans that he's got there to provide him with battle plans for their next move. And one of the generals, Godbrand, the delightful Peter Stormare... Mm. expresses outrage at the humans being the ones making plans. Yep, livestock, as he puts it. Because he's Dra- a vampire. He is a vampire, and yeah, human. they, they eat humans. Makes oh, sense. They do that and all, yeah. Dracula retorts that they're the only ones he trusts, these humans, because they're still down with the D, even though he's wiping out the human race. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can't count on that. Some people who would, like, say, vote against their own interests can be fanatically loyal. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'll stop. This conversation continues after Dracula leaves with uh, Godbrand griping at the humans as they head in following their master's direction. Uh, but one of them lays down a sick boat joke. <laughs> Suggesting that Godbrand has never, uh, hasn't spent more than five minutes with something he hasn't tried to eat, fuck, or turn into a boat. And he calls them bigots because he's a Viking and they make boats out of things. I think, yeah, I like boats. Oh, God, Warren Ellis. Thank you. I love, I love his approach to inserting juvenile dialogue comedy into the midst of his dramatic scenes. He yeah. does this everywhere. Like, it is just, it's a hallmark of what he does, and bless him. Uh, In Dracula's study, the humans, Hector and Isaac, also question the vampire's decision, and Drac explains that it's basically down to perspective and motivation. They have a better understanding of humans than the vampires, and they have no need that might prevent them from wiping them out entirely. Hector reflects a bit on this time that he killed his parents because they didn't understand him or something while he's looking at a fire. (laughs) Yeah, they burnt him because he likes dogs. That would have been a whole, a whole, it would have been a whole different uh, story if, if, if that had been one of the vignettes uh, used in in DJ Jesse Jeff and the Fresh Prince's parents just don't understand. (laughs) You know, a whole verse about how he's raising animals, raising animals from the dead, and his parents get offended, so he kills them. <laughs> now this is the story. Um, Isaac promises that he's going to make the humans suffer, but uh, Dracula doesn't actually seem to care anymore about that. Just wants them dead. Meanwhile, back in Greshit. In the aftermath of the attack by Dracula's army, the cleanup's in full effect. A really long scene of demonic bodies being, like, moved into mass graves. Does it feel necessary? Yeah, it feels necessary. Sypha waves to the other speakers who are moving on, and uh, she's going to, you know, 
travel with Trevor and Alucard, as was established in the end of the. She prior always sounds like she's saying grey shit. <laughs> it's her. It's her saying grey shit, and it's not a judgment. Although the place does not look good right now. Oh no, it is in grey shit. Sypha's <laughs> uh, waving to the other speakers who and and trevor tries to comfort her and he utterly fails because he's a loader with no emotional maturity and so they head to meet up with alucard who's brooding over the choices that he's made to kill his father and honor his mother meanwhile at a lab at dracula's castle hector's playing with an undead an undead pug yeah i i I freaked out when i saw the pug it was amazing zombie pug zombie pug's great He's used perfectly, pops up just enough that you don't get tired of him. Every time you see him, he's endearing and cute for a dead thing. I want a plushie. Mm. I want a plushie of that undead pug. Somebody should make that. I don't know if if it needs to be an Etsy thing. Fine. Just get on it. Yeah, totally on board with that. Sorry, I was talking and yawning at the same time. That's disrespectful. Uh, he's explaining his ability as a, a forge master for our uh, understanding and, and for Godbrands. He makes life from dead things. And Godbrands here to apologizing for having been a dick about having to take orders from humans, you know, because he considers them lesser. He also expresses some general concerns from the generals, you know, like general, general concerns. Yeah, it's the uh, best place to have some general concerns is with some generals. About this haphazard nature that the war is is undergoing. And just then, a pile of corpses is brought in, including the Bishop of Greshit. Uh, they're to be made to undead soldiers. And then the castle starts rumbling, indicating its impending relocation. And, it and his, here's my problem with that. Mm-hmm. Is, I understand that's part of the law and what have you. Mm-hmm. But most of my... Uh, exposure to the idea of a transporting Draculian castle comes from Count Ducula. <laughs> so every time I saw it move, I kept laughing because I thought it was Ducula's castle. <laughs> and at well, any now- moment, you just hear down the corridor, Oh, Ducky Boos! <laughs> <laughs> Ducula's castle had a different uh, mechanic associated with it, though, because it would only remain in its new location until sunrise the following uh, until the following sunrise and then it yeah. would go back to Transylvania that helped the episodic format of right. going to a new place all the time so we could be a I don't know a matador or a French artist or whatever the or fuck we were doing yeah or a pharaoh indeed yeah god that was a great show it was a great fucking show did, you know they, they brought back Danger Mouse it's time bring back Count Duckula yeah I would, I would, I tell you what, right, Conrad, tell you what, yeah, I would watch that. I would kickstart that. I'd watch that with my fucking eyes. I would kickstart it. I had a Count Ducula plush. Mm. It, it had big plastic eyes, so it could, it, it could bash you in the head really hard <laughs> when you were idly playing around with it, or you, you know, you took it to bed as a child or whatever. You, yeah, it just poke you. With Just some you know, big, hard, <laughs> the rest of it, cuddly, soft, big, hard, plastic eyes. Thus ends episode one. Of that show, not 
yeah. not not of the not adventures of <laughs> the adventures of the Duckula plush. <laughs> Episode two. You're right. You're right, though. We really, if you just describe the, what happens, what happens yeah. you click get through it at quite a clip. Yeah, it does not take that long. Uh, actually, episode three is three paragraphs. <laughs> uh, that's good because I think that's the one I fell asleep during. I was really <laughs> tired when I put it on for the first half of the season and drifted in and out of consciousness. Did not miss much happening there. Uh, reunited, the heroes talk about Drax Castle and how it teleports. Trevor suggested they go to the Belmont estate because there's a secret library beneath it with generations of knowledge and equipment for vampire killing. And it's useless to Trevor because he don't know magic. But there might be in there, you know, something in there that can help them, and Sypha and Alucard knows the magic, so they head that way. Back in Drak's castle, the generals are all bickering again. And Drak tries to shut it down when the doors of the hall open, and in walks another vampire, Carmilla. Yep. Lila from Dexter, and also from some old ITV drama in the 90s about sex. Oh, I can't remember this... the actress's name at the moment. I'll remember Carmilla, it the moment I hear it. She factors heavily into the events of Lords of Shadow as a character. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because I haven't played that. I vaguely remember. I actually no, I don't think I remember that much at all because I hated those games. She's the second of the Lords of Shadow that uh, uh, Gabriel Belmont fights, apparently, and then she later reappears in Lords of Shadow Two as uh, in some for- sort of spirit form uh, that he has to deal with again. But um, I think that that was really just you know because they were like, oh man, we want more exposed side boob. In our games, so yeah. we better bring her back. Um, Jamie Murray. Mm-hmm. That's the actress's name, Jamie Murray. Mm-hmm. She's she's terrific. She plays Carmilla. Yeah, she is. She is terrific. She's also late, which she attributes to the moving castle. Ca- the moving castle. And- I wish it was a moving castle. Imagine that a castle made of cows. Mm. And then really, she didn't need to show up anyway because he's got such a highly competent war council, which seems like a bit of a dig at them. Uh, she gives some shit. I wish it was the... a council. A council made a of cows. Of cows. <laughs> Vampire cows. <laughs> Vampire cows standing on two legs, udders just swaying. <laughs> Little fanged mouths on the ends of the udders, like snapping forth. Oh. Oh, God, that's like a xenomorph. Now I'm imagining an alien with udders. Really, you could put udders on anything and you make could. it weird. Yeah. Udders are... Why are udders not used more? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have found an untapped well of horror. And it's the udder. Night of the udder. <laughs> oh. So she I don't gives, know why I growled then. I don't either. She gives some shit for the uh, demonic army's loss at Greshit and questions why Drac never turned Lisa. And this, like, just boom. Drac's Superfly TNT. And calls her into his study for some Very fair question. Talking. Yeah, no, no, it's a totally fair from question. From a vampire perspective, I should say. Sure. 
Sure. Maybe not from a you're my boss perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, a human decency perspective. Right. Um, but they're not humans. So but they're I not humans. So logistically. I wouldn't presume to understand their culture. <laughs> no, no. <It'd> be <laughs> respectful. Cut red. Uh, so some verbal sparring happens. Carmilla says she was just showing off to intimidate the male generals and keep them off their game because she likes to have every advantage. Yeah. And, and Dracula's like... In general, I hate people like that oh, in God, any fiction. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and Dracula's like, okay, so how does it benefit you to fucking piss me off? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very fair question. <laughs> like, she had a, a fairer question if we if we sort of balance, if we're totting up. Just an impertinent one. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, she she found the castle because Godbrand, who wants to sleep with her and she is totes not into it, uh, <laughs> and expresses a willingness to fuck just about anything but him. Yeah. Uh, he's He's been keeping her informed, so they've got some kind of arrangement going on. And Drax's still pissed, but he dismisses her because he just doesn't want to deal with this bullshit. At camp, Alucard tells Sypha about how... Do I keep changing? Or do I been consistently saying Sypha? I I believe you've been saying Sypha. Okay, good. I believe so. Yeah, I think so, because it always... I always makes me think that I th- I'm kind of getting close to saying Cypher, which is the name of the turncoat in The Matrix. Oh, yeah, he is called that. Yeah, and it always makes me laugh. He because, ate a steak, uh, but it wasn't real. Right. Because it makes me think that, you know, like with the right accent, I could be saying the wrong thing. Yeah. And, 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 and giving a totally different impression. Um, I do find if I see it written down as a name, odds on. Other, I will say Cypher and it will be Cypher, or I'll say Cypher yeah. and it will turn out to be Cypher. Never Cipher. get it right. Cipher. You can only really say Surfer and just split the difference. However I say it, you just in your he- in your ears hear it the correct way. Yeah. You do the work. It's like Fallout 76, right? We lay the ground bed and you have the fun. So Alucard tells Cypher about how his folks met and laments how they're going to have to kill his father, and with him, ancient knowledge that could have been used to help humanity. I'll ask him a few questions first. <laughs> but if they don't, he'll just use that knowledge to create a permanent night on Earth and kill all the humans. Uh, Tough call. Yes. Yeah. Suddenly, they hear monsters, which include Gaibon and Slagra. Yeah. The first sort of mini-boss encounter in Symphony of the Night. Uh, heading toward another nearby town of Agra, Agresh, I think it's what it's called. Uh, Alucard confronts them on the road, and fighting happens. Everybody contributes their special skills. Uh, Sypha's pretty disturbing when she burns a monster from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Uh, creepy. Uh, but I, I love her because she has the most creative uh, ability usage out of this whole team. Oh, yeah, she ain't just throwing fireballs all the time. Yeah. There's a bit in the the penultimate episode where she really does some cool shit. Yeah. Uh, One of the flying creatures escapes, but everything else is killed pretty good. In the bowels of the castle, Isaac is autoflagellating to a memory of being beaten by his former owner for trying to help him. Out of love. Only to be beaten more. 
and climaxing in Isaac murdering the guy. Note that I did say autoflagellating. Yeah. It could have been masturbation. You really can't tell the difference here. Godbrand drops off the corpse of the flying critter that got away from the heroes and considers for a moment the will it would take to be that wounded. They really do, like, give a post-hummus description of this dead minion that makes me feel like it should have been the hero of the show. <laughs> right? Like, it, 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 they almost lionize this beast. Yeah, it's literally just like the Castlevania equivalent of a random stormtrooper. <laughs> and yet they talk about it, and I'm like, I'm thinking genuinely watching it, what a good minion that is. Yeah. What yeah. a good little flying gargoylean hell beast that was. I wish it had survived. And using his Forge Master skills, Isaac brings the creature back from the brink of death while reflecting on his belief that Dracula will achieve his goal of a pure earth governed only by love. By killing all humans. <laughs> <laughs> very, uh, yeah, it's a very, uh, you know, they have a philosophy. Well, if Isaac turns them all back into this noble minion, mm-hmm. then it truly will be a better world. Out in the hall, Isaac joins a debate already in progress about where the vampires should attack next. Godbrand, Carmilla, and Hector think they should relocate their attack to the port town of Brasia to cut off escape. And Hector thinks that their other efforts have been unnecessarily bloody. Meanwhile, Isaac believes that taking the older city of Argesh, which they were already making an attack on, is of greater symbolic value. Also, by the way, he revived that creature, and he learned it was attacked on the road, which is also the road to Greshit, where Alucard was sleeping, and hey, a Belmont was spotted there, and Isaac thinks they might have worked together to repel the Greshit attack. And once the B word is said... Carmilla's like, oh, we got to go where they live. Because she knows that they've got this whole trove of shit used to kill vampires somewhere. And that's the most logical place for it to be hidden. Now, this end of episode, like, big dramatic moment, I, I hate to nitpick. But this is, like, the one production element of this season where there is like just a such a glaring error that happens and i don't know why it was missed but she, uh, here carmilla's giving her her monologue about you know the belmonts and how dangerous they are and these things that they have and she stumbles on an alliteration because there's two M sounds in a row, and, and just it just fumbles a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do another take, or they didn't catch it, and it kills me, because in an otherwise amazing performance, this is, like, the thing that's going to stick with you, because this is this character's first moment to be, like, really dramatic and really in your face, and... I'm like, going to have to go back. I must have missed it. I need to go back and hear that, then. That's, that's strange. I heard it the first time it happened. I was like, that can't be right. And then on subsequent viewings, I was like, no, it's there. And it's, it's such a shame because I, I, you know, I heard it. And maybe they just, just didn't hear it happen in the moment. And it's one of those things where then now they're doing the edit and they're like, oh, shit. And they can't get them back in. But it's just it's such a shame. 
Yeah. Because it, it, it ruins it, – not it didn't ruin, but it's, it's a – Undermines it, sure. It's a mark on an otherwise really excellent performance and well-written monologue. Um, but, hey, you know, the little imperfections make all the, the good stuff uh, elsewhere. Maybe they thought it was naturalistic. No, that that could in be. real life it you would stumble It didn't feel like words. it to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's the end of episode two. Episode three: Hector is summoning a new monster while remembering being a kid and resurrecting dead animals. And Carmilla comes to chat, buttering him up about how powerful he is, and gets him to recount how Dracula sought him out after Lisa's death to raise his army. And Hector had agreed to this on the premise that humans were to be culled and controlled as livestock. But now he's having some doubts about this whole thing and thinks Drac might be losing his edge. And Carmilla encourages him to just create a few undead that are loyal to him and send them off to just, you know, sort of scope out that Belmont estate and, and then work with her to convince Dracula to go move their attack to Brelia. And speaking of the Belmont estate, Trevor and the gang arrive there. It's a burned out mess. And a bit of digging uh, with Alucard just casually lifting these boulders that Trevor's struggling with. It's a quite, it's a, it's a fun bit of comic relief. Uh, they find this big old slab of carved rock that Trevor claims is the entrance to their secret stash, but doesn't know how it opens because he was just taken in there once as a child and it was already open at that point. But it's magic. And, and Cypher's got that shit on lock. So she opens it up with some magic and, and then they head down the stairs that appear beneath it. And on the way down, we get this brief little history lesson on the Belmonts, how they arrived in the region a few hundred years ago by way of France. Uh, they name drop Leon uh, as the, the first Belmont in the area. Uh, and they, they walk into this ridiculously enormous library and museum. Like, you know, comically large. <laughs> um, Trevor spends about 80 seconds... Retrieving a whip from a chest. I just mentioned that so that you can understand the kind of time stretch. Yeah, we're some of these setups. Here. Yeah. Uh, Saifa is super psyched by all the knowledge that's contained here, and Alucard, understandably, is a little bit unsettled because <laughs> you know these are tools specifically for the purpose of. Killing it's people like him. a bit like if I went into a peanut factory. Right. It's like, I'm not going to eat the peanuts and die, but I don't like being around all these peanuts. <laughs> Back at the castle, Godbrand has suddenly gotten, to the, gotten wise to the fact that the game plan is to kill all the humans and that that means no humans for drinking blood. And he brings this up with Dracula, who assures him that it's handled. But Godbrand pushes his luck. And Drac has to put him in his place. And outside Drac's study, Godbrand runs into Carmilla and expresses his concerns that Drac's lost his mind and suggests that, you know, maybe the big guy hasn't fed in some time and then presumably might be vulnerable in some way. No, Carmilla tries to keep talking to Godbrand. When Godbrand blows her off and walks away, she kicks his ass down a set of spiral stairs. And stands on his chest so that she could relate the time she cut her former master's head off and ain't gonna take shit from her current one neither. 
Yikes. Thus ends episode three. <laughs> so literally all that happened in 20 odd minutes of, yeah. of television. Uh, in episode four, Godbrand is killing lots of humans, but it turns out to have just been a dream. Really, really happy dream for Godbrand. And he demands some blood, but Dracula's servants offer him only a pig. And he resolves that this situation is just not going to work out. In the Belmont vault, a magic mirror is found that allows some remote viewing. And Belmont calls Alucard a cockwart. <laughs> I, I really do like the, the relationship between Alucard and Trevor in this one. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's great because, I mean, I don't... We don't have any pri- real prior contextual understanding of their relationship because in the games, you know, they just they didn't exist. Uh, and so fleshing it out that these are these two, they're juveniles. And it's something that gets brought up several times over the course of this season. Yeah. Is the observation Saif is making that these are two emotionally stunted Man children who are emotionally stunted for different for, as a result of different trauma in their lives, but they're they're still kids in men's bodies and, and that gets really effectively portrayed by the sort of uh acrimonious brotherly relationships that's forming between yeah. them uh, it's good character writing and uh Oh, and Sypha decides that she's going to start calling Trevor Treffy, which she never does again. Good. In, in the season. Uh, it is a terrible nickname, and he's right to be offended. Uh, Carmilla and Hector talk about Dracula a bit. She tries to convince him to help her take over this war by raising doubts about Dracula's fitness and in terms of leadership and, and pointing out how he's lied to Hector about this being a cull. And she asks him to ensure that the castle moves to Brelia. Uh, she's planning then to usurp Dracula while his army is fighting the city. And suggests, hey, maybe you should make some more monsters to help us out. And now Isaac has his own little flashback, remembering Dracula coming to find him in the desert uh, to, to join his army. Ed reveals that they first met when the vampire saved him from some magicians that were going to kill him and sell him for parts. I don't know what is special about Isaac other than being a forge master. If it's just being a forge master that makes magician, that, that gives value to your organs, that magicians want to sell them for erectile dysfunction remedies. But damn, that's a life, yeah. right? That's rough. Um, Everybody wants a piece of him. Oh. Godbrand and some of the other generals grab horses from the stable and head out for some extracurricular hunting. Meanwhile, Dracula puts together a magic mirror of his own and uses it to put a cloak in a forest somewhere, then strolls to see Isaac, to whom he confesses that he thinks his generals have turned against him and admits to having lied lied to everyone else about his plans. What's the deal with the cloak? Maybe it's a thing. 
Like, I don't know if that's a maybe it's a reference. Maybe if someone listening knows if that's a reference to something in Castlevania or something. I remember it happening, but again, for these first ep- the first half of the series, I was in and out of consciousness for certainly these last two ones. Um, he just so I didn't think this, anything of it at the time. He just chuck, chucks this shroud through a mirror. It's almost as if to demonstrate he can teleport things places with the mirror. Yeah. And nothing Maybe else. it's a magic coat that he can put on. And it's like a Chekhov's thing. Like, for... If they Maybe it pays off them. next season. Yeah, yeah, like that. Cypher... Uh, cuddles up to Trevor and talks to him about the infinite well of sadness that is Alucard. Uh, Godbred goes to visit Isaac again and tells him that he's decided Carmilla has the right idea about the unfocused nature of this war and indicates that he's ready to betray Dracula and pursue a different vision of the future. So Isaac fucking kills him. (laughs) (laughs) Just brutally. Really nasty. Yeah. Does not fuck around. I was and sad when that happened because Peter Stormare. It, it meant no more Peter Stormare in the second half of the season. Yeah. And that's how episode four ends. In episode five, Isaac's meditating as he ditches the corpse while Carmilla communicates to her forces by mirror that everything's ready for her insurrection. Now, I, I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention because I was later confused uh, by who was uh, waiting for the castle to arrive at Corellia, right. uh, which I'll get to in a sec, but I guess this would have revealed that. I, I might have just been looking away. I, I feel like they must have shown who she was talking to. Uh, but she's unable to find Godbrand, and that concerns her a bit. Uh, at the Belmont Vault, Sypha has a crisis of faith when she realizes how completely fucking impractical the method of knowledge collection and distribution at the core of her culture's way of life is. Yeah, just remembering shit ain't all that useful for retaining knowledge. But Alucard raises a really good point about questioning the value of all of the information that's there. And and again, we're going to talk about dicks. Because there's a whole box of penis spells that the... That the Belmonts have. Uh, now, you could argue, you could make an argument and be like, hey, wait a minute. I thought that this was supposed to be a trove of all of the collected knowledge that the Belmonts had used for fighting vampires. But I would position that the penis spells are important for ensuring that you could continue to produce more Belmonts. I mean, that's the thing. If, if your whole thing is a bloodline, a family of vampire hunters... Then making sure all the parts are in working order to produce said families, I think, is very valuable indeed. It, it seems practical. I don't think we should be mocking it. Can I have the book? <laughs> also, Alucard thinks Trevor's a distraction for Cypher, but not that much of one because she suddenly hits upon a couple of books that she thinks might lead to a solution for their problems. Very convenient timing. We also learn that Alucard physically aged rapidly, so he is effectively a teenager. Outside the castle, Hector and Isaac get some privacy to discuss how the vampires are infighting. Hector wants to get things organized, and he asks Isaac to join him in presenting a unified front on moving the castle to Brela, uh, thus presenting a human diaspora. Isaac agrees, acknowledging some hesitance on the basis that it's going to wind up pleasing Carmilla. But 
Hector then goes and reports all this to Carmilla, and she's, like, just thrilled. So, clearly a good prediction. Isaac and Drac have their own chat, where Isaac informs of Hector's intentions, and he presumes that Hector's still loyal, which, eh, in some respects, might be true, uh, and that the generals are just griping and not planning any kind of mutiny, which is totally wrong, and that the move to Brela will satisfy everyone for now. Bad assessment, Isaac. Dracula, ill put his trust in you. Now, Dracula reflects on how the thrill's gone from this whole thing anyway, and remembering a time when he killed 40 men for disrespecting him and put them on pikes overlooking their city as a warning and to inject a little bit of action into this episode. Carmilla <laughs> and Hector arrive in Drac's study to suggest the move to Brela, and he agrees, exhausted by the whole exercise. Out in the hall... Carmilla's pretty pleased with herself and ready to move on to manipulating the rest of the war council. And as Hector realizes that Carmilla plans to take everything over, she points out that he's in the shit now and there's no going back. Uh, Sypha has in fact hit upon a way to help in the quest to defeat Dracula, finding an incomplete spell for locking the castle in one place that she can finish. We also learn a bit more of speaker philosophy. And this is interesting, I think, in that they are actually opposed to God. They view themselves as in opposition to God. And their tradition of oral transmission of information is actually an act of hiding their stories from him so they cannot be struck down. What an interesting bit of flavor yeah. to add to all of this. And continues to position every single one of our characters here as explicitly against the motivations of the church. It's just, I don't know, it's a really interesting realized world that's being built here. Mm-hmm. Uh, comically, this is when Hector's little side project arrives. And uh, see, God hates me. Love that. Great joke. <laughs> Episode six. As the monsters try to get in, our heroes formulate a plan. Alucard will use the distance mirror to find the location of Dracula's castle, while Sypha tries to finish the locking spell, and Trevor defends the hold. After Trevor comically tries to bar the door in, this is a good bit of levity right before uh, shit goes wrong. <laughs> I love this bit. Where he's using the board to try and hold it in place, and he leans it up against it, and it falls down because the door opens the wrong direction, and mm. you're reminded that he's kind of a drunk <laughs> loser. That's <laughs> pretty excellent. Uh, he heads up to face the enemy. Alucard locates the castle just as Dracula is moving into Brela. And Trevor meets the Minotaur, and fighting happens. The vampire generals and Dracula's army move on Brela while Hector and Carmilla watch with the reanimated corpse of the bishop on a chain, and she orders the corpse to bless the river surrounding the city and make the I got the a problem with holy. that. I have a problem with that. You do? I mean, I don't know much about religion, but surely the, the power of the blessing comes from God, who I don't think would be in communique with an undead bishop. Yeah, yeah. It... it Seems to imply that the that, bishop, 
the bishops that the blessing themselves. is a little more than a different kind of magic, and that the yeah. god doesn't matter. It's the knowledge of the magic that matters. It just it, it struck me as a little weird. It is a little weird. It's also <coughs> it, enough me. to take me out of it for a bit. I was it's, like, I, all I could think of was that shouldn't be working at all. It's also totally unnecessary. And I, I, I mean, other than just being kind of a, oh, okay, well, that's kind of a cool idea. I even, think that's, yeah. You know, but that, and that's the only reason it's, it's here. Also, I think, you know, to let Matt Frewer groan a bit, which, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Just have a little more Matt Frewer. I'm, yeah. Like, yeah. I like the idea of him bringing, of bringing uh, the, the bishop back bishop for some back. ironic purpose. Yeah. 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 And I like, I don't even mind the idea of a blessed river being part of a trap. And it's just, I it like doesn't how... quite work with a zombie in service to vampires being able to bless things. Just doesn't quite work out. I, I even like how after he has blessed it, he disintegrates and is destroyed by it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's everything's there except for this one little niggling problem except that's kind for... of central to the whole thing. Except none of it makes sense. It's all cool. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure for many people that's all that matters. I mean, roll of cool is a thing. And but, can be used to wallpaper over many issues. It's just it, it wasn't quite enough for me on this. Yeah, it stood out. Well, and there's and again, I, I point out its lack of necessity, because yeah. we while we didn't address it earlier in, in this, one of the aspects of the infighting conversations that were going on between the generals is the uh, Chekhov's gun of oh, by the way, running water kills vampires. Now, it hasn't happened for a few hundred years because vampires all moved inland, which is also an interesting bit of world building. Yeah. Um, but so that that method of killing vampires has largely been forgotten lore. But it's true. They, they It would kill them. So it would seem that making the water holy wouldn't really be necessary if your plan was, as we will soon see, to just dunk the army into the river yeah. surrounding Like, you the just city. kick them in the drink. That's all you need. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It is cool. Uh, and Carmilla's forces, which, uh, now, again, I... I was confused at who was waiting for them on the other side, because I would think if this city, and it is a city, it's a big port town had some sort of armed defense and yeah, they saw it threw me for a loop for a moment as right? well until i realized they were for like working for her yeah big ass horrible demon castle of legend appears next to you you'd think they'd all be congregating on that shore anyway yeah uh, so yeah i thought these were uh maybe local defenses but no it's it's carmilla's army uh and they uh start uh they pull the they have they've rigged up the foundations with chains on this bridge as the vampire army approaches the city and pull it all out and collapse the bridge and deal a, a serious blow to uh, Dracula's forces who are now forced to retreat. Uh, and a, a ton are drowned. Uh, Trevor does more fighting, but the enemy slowly slowly pushing him back into the hold while this is going to get a little cut back. Fighting happens. Carmilla's forces then extend new wooden bridges across the river to begin their invasion of Dracula's castle, while she's pushing pushing Hector into the city, noting, "Hey, there's no going back now. You've already betrayed Dracula. You're you're my slave." And Sypha finishes the spell and begins casting it, 
in conjunction with the, dis the distance mirror to use the castle's teleportation to relocate it herself. Meanwhile, Carmilla's army enters the castle, and vampire infighting happens. Isaac goes to Dracula to tell him of this turn of events, who realizes the betrayal, and he, with about a dozen soldiers and Isaac, prepare to go stop these invaders. And Trevor? Still doing fighting. As Drac moves to the Great Hall, he detects magic affecting the castle and it begins to teleport erratically around Brela, displacing the blessed water in the river, killing most of the vampires both in Brela and in the Great Hall of the castle before disappearing, leaving Carmilla and Hector behind. I love that bit where she just looks up and just, after a brief pause, just, what the fuck just happened? Yep. It was yep. very well delivered. It's excellent. Uh, Saifa succeeds in finishing her spell, which has now moved the castle directly above the Belmont estate uh, ruins that they are occupying. That's episode six. Episode seven, Dracula finishes off the last of the remaining vampires opposing him in the hall there, or he's in the midst of it. And then below, the stole stares out of this hold are busted, so Sypha makes this ice platform to lift our heroes out of the hold to give us a full 60-minute dramatic emergence scene. <laughs> I, uh... <sighs> the three walk into the Great Hall of the Castle to face the vampires that remain, who seem to stop fighting amongst themselves once a Belmont gets into the shit. Mm -hmm. And bloody tears happens. Fuck yes. It's, and it's, it is good. It is, not to say that the, you know, action sequences in this have not been good, but the application of Bloody Tears to pretty much any kind of combat, I think. It's, it's only going to help. Lifts it, yep. And, 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 and it's a really good fight. It's a great fight. Alucard does some great wolf shit. With his sword, you know, leaping into battle and calling his sword magically to disrupt an attack, catch it in his mouth and then fling it through the neck of another mm -hmm. guy. That's great. The 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 stuff Sypha does is epic. Yes. That that ice sheet wall that she uses to eventually slice that dude in half. Oh yeah. I mean right. he's he's cool too. Like that this is the yeah. reason I want to get to know this guy a little bit better. Because she sends a spike up under his chin that he then dodges, then turns it into a uh, blade thing that runs down a wall that he retreats from, and then widens it, and he runs atop it, and then she just slices up through it. It's so clever. Oh, it's great. I, I mean, I, I like it as much as I like what she does to the other one that, tur that assumes mist form to attack Alucard, and then she just freezes the mist because it's mm. mist. Awesome. And, yeah, I mean, Trevor just blows up a dude's head by comparison. Who the fuck cares? Cypher's <laughs> the fuck best. Fuck you, Trevor. <laughs> Drac and Isaac head back to the study, still fighting off Carmilla's remnant vampires, when Isaac spots Alucard and the crew. And Isaac vows to defend Dracula to his death. But Drac has other ideas, and he constructs the distance mirror in his study and throws Isaac through it into a desert. Alucard then appears to confront his, his father once more, but now supported by Trevor and Sypha. And it's all, you know, 
culminating, like, epic, I've got my friends here with me entrance stuff. Very cool. And dramatic, limited effort on the part of Dracula fighting happens. As he demonstrates his great power, beating on them individually one after another. Yeah, this too, very good fight scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's it's cool because it shows that individually none of them are any match for him whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, but they are able to team up and show their united strength. Seemingly more irritated than injured, Dracula opts to try and end things quickly with some dark inferno. But with the power of friendship. <laughs> that is exactly what I said when this bit started. I just turned around to Alex and was like, power of friendship, innit? Mm-hmm. It's pushed back at him, and Alucard drives Dracula straight through the castle to some other chamber. Uh, Family fighting happens. Alucard confronts Dracula with the idea that this is, as others have noted throughout the course of this season, really just a form of suicide, as Dracula really died the day Lisa did, and he just wants Alucard to kill him. And Alucard does some pinball shit for a bit until Drac turns the table and throws him about, eventually beating him into Alucard's childhood bedroom. And realizing with horror that he's about to kill his own son, Dracula stops and acknowledges the truth of what Alucard has said, while Alucard breaks off a bedpost bedpost from his childhood bed and stakes Dracula with it. I loved all of this. Oh, it's... The performance as he just, like, keeps repeating, my boy, I'm killing our our boy. I know, it's wrenching. Amazingly done. So good. Uh, Drax starts turning to dust and has he's reaching out to Alucard. And it's it's not even clear if he's reaching out to, like, hurt him or just hold his face one more time. Uh, but Trevor comes up from behind and lops off his head, followed by Sypha burning the remains. Thorough work all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, black smoke emerges from the burning remains and spreads out of the castle to God knows where, leaving only Dracula's wedding band. Where behind. he left that cloak. Oh. Oh. That's my thinking. Oh, shit. They slowly emerge. Walking through the hall to the doors as the sun rises over the ruined Belmont estate. Episode 8, or as we call it, the epilogue. Uh, The heroes poke around the wreck that's Drax's old castle, remarking that the engines that allowed it to move are now destroyed. Uh, Alucard had planned to just go back to sleep at his vault in Greshit, but the accumulated knowledge of Dracula can't just be left laying about, so he's going to stay here. And Trevor notes that, hey, it's conveniently located above the Belmont Hold now, so Trevor just gives him that. And and it's it's this weird conversation where Alucard is like, ah, this is my grave, and Trevor's like, no, it's your hope. And I'm thinking, dude's a vampire, what's the difference? Yeah. Uh, but he asks that uh, Alucard defend the collected secret knowledge of both Dracula and Wallachia. So, you know, it ties it all in. Isaac, meanwhile, is getting drunk in an oasis when he's approached by some assholes on camels. And he kills them. And after eating one of their horses, uses his forge mastery to raise them into monsters under under his control as the genesis of his own army. Mm-hmm. Again, very nicely done, that whole scene. Now, here's my question. This is the one thing I'm wondering. Is Isaac 
ultimately the Dark Priest Shaft? Hmm. That's what I've been thinking this whole season, is that it's laying the groundwork for... you know, it, Even if Isaac himself isn't Shaft, he's the progenitor of Shaft. Yeah, something along those lines. Like, I mean, yeah, they're certainly setting him up to be a major fucking... Like, he's... Player. I think he'll build a Dracula cult, ultimately. Yeah, all the places are the, all the pieces are there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, talking with Trevor, Sypha considers her own future, coming to the conclusion that she can no longer just trade old stories with the speakers and needs to experience new ones. Ed notes that there's still vampires out there in Brela. Uh, she asks Trevor to adventure with her, saying that doing so has made him a better person already, and he agrees to that. Uh, in Brela, Hector and Carmilla are waiting for nightfall, and she's going to go back to Styria. With Dracula dead, there's a power vacuum that she intends to fill. And she has Hector put in chains, ironically turning him into the thing he loved most, a pet. And uh, beats the shit out of him. Hmm. That one shot of her, like, manic eyes as she is just punching him in the face over and over, and the blood is just, like, flying at her. Really, again, really well done. Yep. Yep. Plus, also just her putting him in chains and calling him a good little pet is... Oh, no, the whole... The whole it, uh, I enjoyed it. Everyone in this winds up where they should. It's all earned. Uh, and that makes me so happy. Sypha says goodbye to Alucard as Trevor packs the wagon and they depart uh, with Alucard flipping Trevor the bird. Uh, just cute and fun again. And then, alone in the castle, Alucard has visions of his father, his mother, and himself as a child, as he reflects on the emptiness in his family home while sitting in Dracula's study and cries. Oh! And it, yeah, just so somber in its presentation and then just silently into credits. It was... What an end. Yeah. I, uh... Everything's set up, but still there's this sense of bleakness to it at the same time. That's tough to do. And, again, like, unlike uh, unlike the first uh, season, where it really felt like just set up for a story. Yeah. Here we got the story. And the story was really good. And, yeah, there's going to be a season three, and they certainly set up plenty of threads for a season three. But a season three doesn't feel necessary. Yeah, it could have ended here just fine. And it would have been wholly satisfying. I don't need them explicitly to tie up the threads that they've left open. I look forward to them doing so. Yeah. Uh, really. And, again, that's tough. To, to do something that feels storyline complete... Yet I'm still happy to see more of it yeah. because the threads they've left, even though they could be fitting endings in their own right, also could have very exciting continuations. Right. And, I, you know, I certainly couldn't feel that way about the first season. You know, it, 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 yeah. it almost felt like it was a test that Netflix was doing to see if it was worth it. You know, and, and then it's kind of, it's kind of weird that they then expanded this to eight episodes. Yeah. Because I really do feel like it could have been... I think at the very least, you could have taken material from season one, 
cut down a bit of material from season two and you would have had an excellent one series. Yeah, I think I think that this whole thing could have been told very effectively in just eight episodes. Yes. Um, if they'd done... Now, I, I, I would have liked to have seen season one compressed a little bit more. I, I realize that it's a strong end point to have the team all get together and begin their adventure together there. But there's no reason why we couldn't have spent a little bit of time establishing what's going on in Dracula's world uh, earlier on. Uh, but... That said, I think doing that, if they hadn't been on board for a second season, would have just raised so many more questions and it would have been even less satisfying yeah. a wrap-up. And my hope is, you know, they've done that first season as potentially a test, um, certainly a prologue. This season seems a little bit mired by that in mm-hmm. the, you know, they were just trying to get that story done. Um, my hope is with season three, they're, everything's now proven and they can do a more like something that just feels like there's no wasted time or, or, you know, the fat trims and they can just tell a very solid, well-paced story. But at the same time, I I do also have to wonder how much of this is intended for dramatic effect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they may not be playing for time at all. They may have just maybe over egged the pudding in terms of their dramatic pausing. Right, because I I do think at a lot of points it's effective. You know, I I wouldn't necessarily miss its absence. I don't nece- I don't think I don't expect, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe what I should do is make my own cut mm. and see how I feel about it without all of this in there. Because that's I think that's the only way I'd really know for sure if I'd like it better shortened. Some and, and trying to pick out what. I would remove versus what I keep would probably be pretty challenging too. Uh, but I do feel like there's fluff. I do. I'm convinced that this all could have been uh, 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But. But what there was was very enjoyable. Yep. Yeah. And it only got better in my opinion. Yes. This season yes. only got better as it went on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to I'm the ready. point where those last two episodes especially, even though the last one was more of an epilogue, as you say, it was still, for what it was, terrific. Those mm-hmm. last two episodes are, are really good. Really, really good. I, yeah, I, I, I think the whole second half, you know, when it all starts coming together, um, is is excellent. It's a bit slow in the early bits. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's... Uh, it earns its ending for sure. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. So what are we going to do next time, Jim? Well, it's Thanksgiving week next time. Oh. Or thereabouts. Yeah. And you know what we do. That's right. You know what we gotta. Oh. It's time. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to take another trip. To Adam Sandler's world of pixels. Yep. You thought we wouldn't do it, didn't you? Some of you <laughs> thought we wouldn't be so brazen. We wouldn't be such assholes as to, for the, what, the third year running? Yeah, yeah. Discuss pixels. But maybe we've just got some new things to say. It could be. It could maybe I'll get be. Adam Sandler in as a guest star again. Hi, guys. Fuck off. 
you don't know what we may have in store when we talk about pixels. (laughs) (laughs) For the third year in a row for our Thanksgiving special. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Our gift to you. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless America. (laughs) All right. So we'll be discussing pixels uh, next time and hope you enjoy that. Um, And that's it. Yeah. You know, follow Conrad on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's all, that's all you need to do. You, yeah. you know my Twitter address. You should. Um, we'll uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Shut up, Adam. <laughs>